we just live in such a world of opportunity and wealth that I don't think we need to be obsessing about how we're going to pay the bills so much anymore. There's so much opportunity available to all of us. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray, and I appreciate you taking the time to share in these stories today. A Congruent Life is all about authenticity. In particular, we share stories of reinvention, people who have the wherewithal to reevaluate what they're doing with their lives and go forward in a way that is more congruent for them. I'm talking today to John Bardos, who runs a website called Jet Set Citizen. John, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks. Let's maybe just start. Can you just give a quick introduction of yourself to our audience? A quick one. Well, um, I'm Canadian and um, I moved to Japan in 1997, kind of like on a, on a whim. I thought it was going to be a short-term thing and it turned out to be a long-term thing. I got married there, started an English school there, did some an online business there and, and ended up being in Japan for about 13 years. And um, after about 12 years in Japan, kind of made a, a one-year plan to, to leave Japan and sell my business and get rid of everything I owned and live a kind of a digital nomad, location-independent type of lifestyle. So the last four years, my wife and I have been essentially homeless and traveling around, rotating between um, different countries and living in different places. Right now, I'm in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It's fun to run into these people that are, are living, you know, these lifestyle design sorts of lifestyles and living sort of this life of a digital nomad. But it seems like your story is kind of kind of different in many ways. So let's maybe start. Why did you go to Japan in the first place? What took your your journey there through Japan? This was a long time ago. I'm, a, I'm 44 just to kind of give people a perspective of what's going on here. So I'm a little older than like a lot of the lifestyle design crowd, I think. But um, so when I was in university, like Japan was was very strong economically, and so Japan was in the news. Japan was buying like office towers in New York, and Japanese companies were the model of of, of many kind of business books. And so um, I was very interested in Japan because I was studying business in school, and so I wanted to go to Japan. So, and um, what, spending a long time in university, and I kind of I loved university, and I, I basically wanted to be there forever. I did a first degree, then I did a second degree, and I just kind of wanted to hang around forever, but. And, and just avoid working in a cubicle, working for a big company. And so um, for years, I was, I, I was I think I was in university for like six years. And so um, I just was trying to avoid getting a real job, I guess, and, 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 and going, doing, working for a company that I, did, I, I knew I wouldn't really appreciate. So um, I just wanted to leave the country. And, and Japan was kind of my favorite choice just because I had an interest in it for so many years. And so just I basically I bought a ticket and, and a week later I arrived in Japan with no visa, not much money and, and no job and, and just kind of made it work. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I love those stories of just taking a flyer on something like that, of not really knowing what you've got on the other end. So what did you find when you got there? 
I, I actually I don't know. Like it was definitely when I first arrived. Like I didn't really know much about the country, and and like um, I didn't realize the scale of things. Like when you arrive at the airport, you don't just take a taxi to your house because like, or or you go somewhere because it's so damn expensive. So it's kind of a, everything was a shock. I, I didn't really do research. This was kind of before internet was big and you had information about everything. So basically, I just arrived and kind of tried to make it work as best as I could. I, what The biggest surprise, I guess, like how modern, how organized, how systematic everything was. I, I, I expected it to be a little more chaotic, but um, it was like, it was it was a pretty well-structured society. I guess that was the biggest insight I had on my first impression anyways. But over time, I kind of... Um, I, I actually really grew to love Japan. I still love Japan. I think, like in many ways, I think I'm more Japanese than I am Canadian. I think, like their their philosophy on like on culture, on um, appreciation of elders, on appreciation of art, on um, on um, just just the the quality of living, even just the idea of like socializing after work and connecting with with um, friends and relatives. It just resonates with me much more than than the Canadian way of doing things. I think it's much more. Maybe it's more European as well. I think maybe America and Canada has lost their way in, in some of those places. We're too too work focused. Where where I think other cultures seem to have a big emphasis on family and friends as well. So what was it that changed for you during your time in Japan as you started absorbing this culture and uh, maybe sort of altering your perspective on the world? I think like um the the biggest actually one of the biggest surprises for me is is just how different the culture was from Canadian culture. It just like every one of my assumptions was was questioned very quickly and I just like and like when I first, when I think when you first arrive and you don't do much traveling you you assume that everything in this new culture is wrong and that your culture is right and you have a lot of things to teach this new culture. And I was like that as well too when I arrived in Japan I thought like well they're doing it like this why don't they do it the way we do it in Canada right it's so stupid. But over time I realized hey like they have a different way but a different way is not always bad there's probably reasons why they do it like that and and in many cases I found out that it's 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 often better than than our system it was it was more um for, for example, like just here's a simple example. Like in Japan, like bathing is is a big part of the culture, and so um, you wash before you get into the hot water, so the hot water can be shared with the whole family. And that same hot water that the whole family bathed in is also used to wash clothes afterwards. So it's a very um, resource efficient kind of society. They care about like not wasting water and not wasting like that heated water. And and um, I think we have a lot to learn from the, just their efficiency. Like they're 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 much more um, energy conscious, I think, than we are. And so those kind of things are, are like uh, it was very insightful. And so like uh, when I started seeing that, okay, if if I have all these these assumptions that are incorrect, that are that my way was better, maybe like maybe all my assumptions are wrong, and I, I started questioning more of my beliefs. Like like you have to buy a house, you have to work for a company, you have to start a, a business, you have to do this, and 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 like there's so many things that we just naturally assume in our lives that maybe are not that accurate, maybe they're questionable. Like the idea of of um, working for a big corporation and and the idea of, of buying all the stuff we see on TV and, and the idea of what we need to have status and power in society. I think a lot of those things are, are just social constructs, probably largely created by marketing agencies trying to sell us something. So it's just, it really helped me kind of um, go, like the word you use is, is like be more authentic, maybe find my real self rather than just kind of um, live the life that I, that I thought I was expected to live. So you spent about a decade in Japan, 
and then decided you and you got married along the way and then you and your wife decided to go do something different. What brought about that that desire for change? My first of all, my wife is Japanese. I don't know if that changes the story or not, but but like um I I met my wife earlier on in in the in my stay in Japan and we got married about a about 2 years after I was in Japan. So just to put some perspective in this story, but basically like um I was very business driven. Like I wanted to start a business and, I, and like I had businesses that failed in Canada and, and, um, and I, and I wanted to start a business again when I got to Japan, I didn't want to work for someone else. So I did. And the easy and one, easiest one to start was an English school that went really, really well. We worked long hours and, and, um, grew the business. We expanded, we hired staff and, and teachers and we expanded to different locations. And for like, I would say a good four years, it was constant growth and it was very exciting because we're doing new things and, ch- and challenging things. But it got to a point like after about four years, we started realizing, hey, like um, adding new staff is not really freeing up my time to do more creative stuff. I'm just I'm just spending more 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 of my time on administrative and kind of boring things that I don't, I don't really want to do. And um making getting bigger is not helping us put more money in our bank account we actually have more staff and and more expenses and more administrative overhead and it was just like um it wasn't pushing us ahead maybe it would have if we really grew over more years but but um there's there was no incremental growth it kind of really really tapered off after about the four-year mark and so then at that point it's just like doing the same thing over and over and over again like our our um we had like pretty good systems and, and um, routines for everything we needed to do in the work. So it was kind of basically we could we could show up five minutes before work and um, open the doors and 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 work. And then five minutes after work, close the doors and shut it down. And then we work on the computer on on some some other related businesses. And it was just um, it was just the same thing over and over and over again. We weren't being challenged. We weren't kind of finding it the, the work became stagnant I guess is the way to say it and so but it was good work we like like it was um we were making good money we had lots of free time we were doing we were able to buy what we wanted but it, it just wasn't um, a fulfilling or meaningful existence anymore and it just it just and it dragged on and on and on so like the, one of the solutions we thought through that was like we needed to buy stuff to make us happy because we sacrificed for those first few years. So we thought like, well, maybe we need to buy a bigger house. So we got a bigger house. Maybe we need a newer car. So we got a newer car. Maybe I need a fancy stereo. So I bought a fancy stereo. Maybe this espresso machine. Maybe we need to eat out at restaurants more. Maybe we need to travel more. And so our life became very consumption focused. And um, so like, like I found myself like after work, like drinking expensive whiskey and watching movies on surround sound stereo and it's just like it was just like um i just needed that kind of that chill down time after work because the work was just kind of i'm just getting so boring and it's it's so much drudgery it just it just seemed like i was almost like killing myself a little bit basically i was just turning in the kind of the person i didn't want to become like you come home from work and you turn on the tv and have a beer or, or a glass of wine and you sit and veg for four hours right and so, like, we did that for a few years, too, and I was kind of gaining weight and just just not challenging myself very much. And so, eventually, just it, it just came to be too much, and we kind of made a – my wife and I were talking about it for years, but finally we just said, okay, this is it. Let's make this plan. And, like, in one year, I wrote a blog post, one year to a new country and a new career, and we just kind of made that decision that, okay, we don't want to spend the next 30 or 40 years of our life like this, so let's just make a commitment to make a challenge and change now. 
So what happened when you made that commitment? Drawing that line in the sand is probably both scary and inspiring. Yeah, like um, and it was like it was a kind of a powerful thing. Like like before we talked about it for years, and nothing ever happened, right? But but I think I don't know, maybe because I I wrote it down, maybe because it was public, maybe because it was in a blog post, it just felt more compelling and real. And so it just basically everything started happening. Like we started putting the school for sale. We started thinking like, what do we get? What do we do with all our stuff? Right? Where are we going to go first? Right? What are we going to do? And and so we st- we had um all these kind of issues that we it kind of like the 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 to-do steps, the incremental to-do steps along the way kind of started presenting themselves and we just started doing them basically one by one. It was very clear what needed to be done after we we decided on the goal and the dates. I guess the date was important too because otherwise it's just a moving target that you never move towards. So once you made this one-year plan and this commitment, uh, what happened at the end of that year? We were we beat it by like about a, a month or whatever. We we ended we were able to sell the school the school and we got rid of our car. We got rid of our house and things. Actually, we didn't get rid of the house. We we still had the house. The idea was we were going to keep the house in Japan and, and go back and travel there. So we did have the house, but we got rid of all of our stuff and all of our furniture in the house. We were hoping to rent the house, but that didn't work out. So we ended up having to sell it like a year or two later. We kind of kept the house empty for a year and we realized, well, we're not using it, so we might as well sell it. So we sold it about a year later. But basically, yeah, we, we did. We kept our the, all the dates kind of fell into place really, really closely. And um, after that, we kind of just started traveling and living. We, we went back to visit family in Canada and we went to go visit. I have family in Hungary in Europe. So we went to Europe, lived there for six months. And then we've been living in, in, um, in Asia for the winters and just kind of been rotating in different locations for the last four years or so. Sounds like I'm pretty great adventures. Um, I don't, I don't know if adventures is the way to say it. Like people think this is, is a kind of a glamorous, exciting lifestyle and it's nice to live in different countries, but, but our, our, like our life is pretty simple. We, we don't, um, we do the same thing we do in every country. Basically we join a gym, we get an apartment and we, um, we eat oatmeal and fruit for breakfast every morning, and we try to eat healthy. We walk a lot. It's um, we're not going uh, like skydiving or bungee jumping every day. It's just kind of um, it's just our life, just in a different location. One of the things that I think is so compelling about your site and your writings, uh, basically the persona that you have as as this lifestyle blogger, is your emphasis on both contribution and connection. I'd like to talk a little bit more about both of those. Maybe let's start with the the connection piece. It's pretty unusual, I think, for nomadic type travelers to to be in significant relationships, especially to be married. So what's it like living that lifestyle with your wife? A lot of people have been asking me this recently. It's, actually, I, I don't really put a lot of thought into it because we, like, we're so aligned, I think, in many ways. Like, like um, We both like to exercise every day. We both like to eat healthy. We both like to travel. We both like to live abroad. My wife wants to study English and I try to study Japanese. So um, we have synergies there as well. So like in many ways, like our fundamentals are closely, closely aligned. So it doesn't really matter where we are. We um, we, we basically live the exact same lifestyle. And, and so we don't need um, we don't need much other stability in our life because our the basics of our life are so fundamentally um, stable, I guess. But on the other side, like we're very opposite kind of people. We like different kind of music. We like my wife's a morning person. I'm an evening person. And there's other things that we have a lot of opposites as well. So um, I, I don't really see it as, as um, like what's it like to live with someone. It's just like we're married. We spend all our time together. We worked we worked together for um, 13 years in, in or whatever, 10 years it was in Japan. 
and we still kind of work together now. We're always together, so it's just it's just our life. I don't know I don't know how to describe it very well. Oh, that's great. So, how about the contribution side? Uh, you talk a lot about embracing the places that you are and being of service. You have, seem to have a real deliberate perspective on being of service wherever in the world you are. Yeah, and this one is a difficult issue for me to to reconcile as well. Too, I think as I think everyone wants to make a contribution. They want their life to have meaning and they want to find purpose and they want to do something that makes the world a better place. The only problem is like, it seems it's very easy to get caught up in that kind of consumer lifestyle and that achievement oriented lifestyle. And, and so even in myself, do I, I see a lot of people just working towards largely the way I describe is largely socially useless businesses or, or, or careers there's so many people that are just kind of going through the motions and, and um, it's, it's kind of this, um, this vicious circle. Like you, you, you work harder and you, you make more money and you spend more money, right? And we're consuming, we're wasting, we're, we're polluting. And, um, and, and even our work most of the time, is not really making the world a better place. Like um, we don't need any more kind of iPhone games or smartphone games. We don't need any more people making um, spammy websites and, and doing really kind of um, silly things to make a little bit of money. Just like um, for for me, the contribution there's like there's there's um, there's like a billion people on the planet that don't have clean drinking water. We have so much wealth and prosperity. It's just kind of like sad to see so many people that are so poor, especially in a country like um, like for for like in Thailand in Southeast Asia, for example, where I am now. Like um, people are are. are Incomes are very low. People have very, very simple, very, very basic lives. But you know, but people are seem much, much happier here. Even like in the crazy traffic, like people are not honking and swearing at each other. They just kind of they're just they're just patient with things, and it's just like they're accepting of of what's happening. And they people every evening people spend time with their family. They're barbecuing on the street, and they're they're meeting their friends. And it's just like it's a much more social, much more. Um, much more real kind of lifestyle and like, like contribution doesn't have to be changing the world. It could be just like um, being nice to your neighbors and spending time with your children and, and, and a lot of things like that as well too. So I don't know. I just like my life wasn't very fulfilling chasing the, chasing the money and chasing the possessions. I think like um, I get a lot more fulfillment actually trying to help someone or trying to contribute something anyways in a meaningful way, not just in the way like um buy my expensive online program and, and I'm changing the world because I'm helping people find their passion kind of stuff. But I think there's like real solutions like like helping with um, human trafficking or helping with um, with provide water to people that don't have water or helping educate refugees that don't have um, any kind of education opportunities or work opportunities, right? There's real big problems in the world that have easy solutions. We just need to divert a little resources to solve them. So what does that look like for you in terms of putting the pieces together of both making a living and making a real contribution to the world? Yeah, like, um, I, honestly, I don't have it figured out either. I don't know how to make a, maximize my contribution. I don't know how to maximize my living. Like, I, I generally, I, I, um, I'm not focused so much on making a living. We have some money saved, so it's, it's um, not desperate for us to earn an income. So basically, that's kind of been shelved. I try to put I would say like 80% of my work into kind of volunteer kind of activities. And so a lot of that has been, is just, is trying to be um, like, I've hold these kind of um, meetups in different places, just trying to connect kind of like the nonprofits and social entrepreneurs with kind of more of the business minded people and trying to get some cross pollination. there. And I, I think like um, 
the nonprofits need more business skills, and I think the the business people probably need to be doing more socially beneficial things with their life. So if we can get those two groups kind of meeting in the middle a little bit more, I think a lot more can be accomplished. Um, I do some like small work consulting projects for money every once in a while, but um, basically like um, yeah, just if my my philosophy is if you just keep your expenses really low, like like money doesn't really matter so much anymore. It's it's not so hard to to earn a living if you have to, even if you had to go work a minimum wage job, you can still earn enough to pay for another the next year in in um in in Southeast Asia or South America or something. So like my view is like um money doesn't really matter so much anymore. It's kind of um maybe that sounds like a new age hippie kind of thing, but we we just live in such a world of of opportunity and wealth that I don't I don't think we need to be obsessing about how we're going to pay the bills so much anymore. There's so much opportunity available to all of us. That's a really good reminder. I think it's really easy to get stuck in that perspective of I need so much. Even when trying to simplify, there's this pressure, this voice in the back of your head that is like, I, I need to be making more. Like, like um, one story that I, I often share, like, and I, I don't think it kind of it, it resonates with, with younger people so much because, like, for example, when, when I was um, in university, that was kind of like just the beginning of the Internet. And so, like, we, the internet was not popular. We didn't have smartphones. People didn't have laptops in school. It was just just the early stages of the, that time. So, if leaping forward like five or ten years, if you grew up with smartphones, if you grew up with um, with laptops, and if you grew up with the internet, you can want to travel to to Thailand. You can book your guest house online. You can research which are the best restaurants, and there's ratings for everything. The world is a completely different place than even just twenty years ago. But like the example that I always give is like I, like I hear stories from my like 92 year old grandmother all the time and and and, she, and like she grew up in in a one room mud house with no electricity, no running water, no no television, no radio, right? No car until she was much much older. And so um no toys, all the food that that they ate had to be grown look like on their farm and produced by them. The only thing they would buy would be like coffee and sugar. There's no kind of no such thing as bananas or pineapples. And they didn't have any exotic kind of foods. They had like the, all their um f- food in the in the in the summertime was was canned because they had to to wait from last year's harvest and and so like the only time they killed animals was in the winter when it was cold so it could be refrigerated outdoors and and it's just like it was such a harsh difficult existence and now it's it's so so easy and convenient like if you don't have money we you, you go get a job right there's tons of jobs online and there's most of them are lousy low paying jobs but it's easy to make money right we don't have to go to the well to carry water we we turn on our tap and we have clean water when we want it right we have like electricity and air conditioning our our problems are, are seem to be much more like oh i can't afford the new iphone upgrade this year i have to wait another year that kind of um pretty pretty minor stuff compared to what our ancestors lived through just like maybe 60 or 70 years ago it wasn't even that long ago it was just like how much the world has advanced in that short time is pretty amazing if you think about it i think yeah absolutely so the purpose of this show, A Congruent Life, is really to explore these kinds of themes that you're talking about, about authenticity and congruence and, and living in a way that feels authentic to us. So what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? Um, well, one thing I'm very conscious of is, is like my environmental f- footprint. I, I do like to fly, so like um, that's kind of maybe... A little hypocritical, but um, but we try not to like. For example, I I gave up my car, and we don't 
rent motorcycles or, or drive anywhere anymore. We walk everywhere, so we try to be more conscious. We live in a smaller place. We try not to consume very much. We um, we try to buy local food. We don't we don't eat processed food any longer. And um, yeah, basically, it's just trying to live a real life that's that's like um like healthy food, and lots of exercise, and, and just trying to um minimize the damage I do to this planet. I guess is just like we have there's there's it's kind of insane like how many businesses and how many people just we produce all this garbage that's going to end up in landfills for, for centuries, basically. And, um, we can't, I, I, don't, I just, I'm not an environmentalist. I, I'm not kind of like, um, I hope I don't come across as a new age kind of person or something like that. But it, it, it's, um, just a, it's, it's just a reality, right? We can't just keep destroying everything. We can't overfish all our oceans and expect fish to be there all the time. We can't top down all our trees and expect the trees to, to come back. Right. We're, we're, um, we're basically raping the planet. If we don't do something, it's 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 going to be pretty sad for future generations. And so I think that's the first thing is just being conscious of like we can't be taking more than we give. And um, and the second thing is like with the, we're just with so much suffering in the world, people that are just really really suffering, like like children being sold for sex trafficking for as little as a hundred dollars, right? That kind of stuff goes on in the world, especially in 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 this part in poorer countries, right? And it's it's easy to turn a blind eye to that when we go to our cubicles and come home and turn on the TV for four hours every day. But like these are real problems that are easy easy to solve. Like we have so much resources in the world, it's just kind of redirecting a little bit of our our consumption, like if 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 Canadians spent like ten percent of their alcohol budget, for example, every year, we could solve the water problem in the world. But um, it's just like we get so preoccupied with our own selfish needs that we kind of forget what's really happening in the world. It'd be nice if we kind of um, shared that wealth and good fortune a little bit. So, what's going on in your world now in terms of the contribution that you want to make? Um, like a, a big part of it, like like you you mentioned, like connection and contribution. Those are those are definitely two key focuses of my life. Like um, I I try to organize these unconferences for social good, which basically brings together those kind of two crowds, like the nonprofits and, and the businesses. So so I I've tried to do like one or two of those events every year. Right now I'm working on um volunteering on a human trafficking crowdfunding campaign. And so it's uh, trying to pull together people to to volunteer and, and execute on things like that. I'm hoping to, um, not hoping to, I will be going to Bangkok to help with a, another friend's charity there and help him develop systems, marketing, and, and, and um, processes to kind of be more effective. So basically, I just want to find people that are doing good, productive work and help them be more good and productive. I don't have any particular expertise in any of this, but I can help with... with um, with just getting stuff done and, and project management and kind of um, maybe marketing and, and branding and, and web development, that kind of stuff. So maybe just, I, I call it capacity building for people that are doing good stuff already. And so that, and I think that's where I can make kind of the biggest co- contribution right now. And, and another area too, that I'm kind of passionate about for the long term because of my background in teaching English, I think like um, teaching English to children in the developing world, is 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 a critical skill because um, if they learn English, they can communicate with foreigners. They can work online. They could like they can. It's the it's the international business language, so it completely opens up new levels of opportunities for them. So I, I, I'm slowly working working on um, sites to help provide free resources and and materials to help teachers around the world and 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 hopefully um, help children learn more effectively through like online games and, and um, animations, those kind of things. 
Can you tell us a little more about the documentary that you were telling us about? Um, yeah, that, that kind of was just a, a, a chance kind of encounter with um, a couple of filmmakers that were coming through um, Chiang Mai here. And, and so they, they told me their story. And basically, they're, they're um, traveling around Southeast Asia and they, they had um, filming this documentary. And so basically, the story is that they had a, they were the main guy, Ben Randall was previously traveling throughout Asia and he met a person in, in northern Vietnam, this young girl in one of the villages he was teaching English in. And um, he learned about her story and they were connected on Facebook and they had a lot, a lot of mutual friends. But after he returned back to um, back home, he later um, learned that she was she was kidnapped and, and trafficked across the border into China. And so... Um, after that, he kind of was just trying to figure out what he should do about it, what he could do about it. And so he decided he was going to use his like filmmaking skills to kind of bring some light to that and try to find out what happened to her, or try to find her if he can. But if, at the very least, like, like film a documentary about that problem and learn as much as he can about it and kind of spread the news about how large the human trafficking issue is around the world. So um, when I kind of heard that story, I just thought, yeah, that's very powerful. And says so like, well... What can we do about that? And and um, one thing he had had was he needed some he needed to raise some money. So um, we said, well, let's do a crowdfunding campaign. So basically, trying to pull together, we pulled together about a dozen people for an initial kind of um, brainstorming and, and creative session. And then we've been working on that for the last like maybe um, four or five weeks now, I guess. And we'll be launching a crowdfunding campaign at the end of the month for that. That's great. Um, how can our audience learn more first about the crowdfunding effort and secondly how can they engage with you the project website is humanearth.net if they would like to go read something about there it doesn't say anything about the crowdfunding campaign yet but you can subscribe to the the um, email newsletter there and, and um, ben updates on his journey and, and and he'll he'll be writing more about the crowdfunding campaign very soon so humanearth.net and um, my site right now is, is jetsetcitizen.com. That's probably going to change. I've been I've been struggling with that as well too. I think that the focus is travel, but I like to. I don't think it really encompasses the the kind of contribution and, and social good kind of work that I would like to do. So maybe that will change. But for right now, you can still get a hold of me at jetsetcitizen.com. Great. So John, is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Um. Actually, like I've been thinking about this a lot because I've just been writing my uh, a, a blog post about New Year's resolutions. But like one thing that that, that I've, I've I've kind of been casually studying Buddhism for the like the last twenty years or, or whatever. But um, so so many people are caught up with like um with what's next and achieving goals and striving for more. Like Buddhist philosophy is very powerful in that it's like it's it's all about focusing on the moment. And so people who can't focus on the moment are always worried, they're always anxious, and they're always um, dissatisfied with what they have. And um, in Buddhism, that, that's known as, as, as um, dukkha or suffering. That's the root of all suffering, is not, being, not accepting the moment, not being in the moment, not being mindful of where you are right now. So um, for me... I think I, I think that that's been a very helpful thing for me. Just concentrating on what you're doing now to the best of your ability, and and focusing on this exact second, and not worrying about the past or the future, is has been very enlightening for me. And I think that's a valuable thing that I would suggest everyone look into if you can look into kind of the four noble truths and the eightfold path of Buddhism. It's it's um I'm not a religious person, I'm not a spiritual person, but it's more of a, a life philosophy. It's just like 
living right. And I think it's a very powerful way to look at your life. If, um, for me, like if you can just kind of, um, tune out all the noise in your head and, and all the noise in the world and just, just do what feels right right now and just, just accept what is right right now. I think, I think we'd all be a little bit more happier. Well, John Bardas, it's great to connect with you in this way. And thanks so much for spending this time with us and sharing your stories. Oh, thank you. Yes, I hope. And again, like I just, I, I want to leave. I like. I, I'm not the kind of person that burns incense and and um, and wears dreadlocks or or, or things like that. I, I don't think I'm an overly spiritual person. Maybe I'll come across in the wrong way here, but um, I think I think there's there's practical ways to apply Buddhism too in our, in our normal life. So those kind of things, it's it's something worth, even for like the the goal oriented, business oriented people. I think there's a lot to learn from that kind of Eastern philosophies. Absolutely, I totally agree. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Bartos. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 47 or acongruentlife.net slash Bartos, which is B-A-R-D-O-S. Big thanks to those of you who have been leaving reviews for the show. That's a really helpful way to support the show and help others discover it. Thanks for the latest five-star reviews from Alex Designs, CFO Thought Leader, Kimberly Falker, and Katie Kremitzos of the Business Women Rock Podcast. It's great to see folks in the business world who are interested in stories of authenticity. If you would, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Once again, thanks for listening to Acongruent Life. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Acongruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at a congruent See you next time.